0: In my last episode, I talked about the underlying principles of behavior and some things that we need to know about how behavior happens and why it continues. So in this episode, I'm going to talk about how we can get started preventing the behaviors from happening in the first place, because that's one of the wonderful things about this approach to behavior. When you focus on the form of the behavior, you have to wait until it happens in order to respond to it to make any changes. But when you focus on the function of the behavior, you can do tons of things to prevent the behavior from happening. And your teaching can be so much more effective when you do it because you can teach replacement skills when the student isn't engaging in that behavior, which means that he isn't in crisis. Because let's face it, when the student is displaying problem behavior it's not really our ideal teaching moment. Our ideal teaching moment is when he's calm and quiet and open to instruction. So I'm going to focus on the things that we can do to prevent behaviors. And then in future podcasts, I will talk about how we can address behaviors when they continue beyond some of these points. So let's get started. As I mentioned, before we talk about how to assess the behavior and address it, there are things that we can do to prevent the behavior from happening at all. There are tons of things that what we call antecedent strategies that we can set up in the classroom to make behaviors less likely to happen. And those are what we're really going to focus on today is how do we set up a behaviorally supportive classroom? That is, how do we set up a classroom that supports appropriate behavior and discourages negative behavior? But as an aside, you can also teach more appropriate behavior that serve common functions to prevent challenging behaviors from occurring and from escalating. So in addition to just setting up antecedent strategies that set the occasion for appropriate behavior, we can actually teach replacement behaviors before the behaviors really escalate and get bad. That's actually what my doctoral dissertation was on, and I'll talk about that process in a later episode. For today, let's focus on how we set up a behaviorally supportive classroom that prevents the challenging behaviors from happening, because I think we can all agree we would rather not be hit than have to be hit and then respond. Once we have these strategies in place, then you'll see who else in your classroom needs more intensive assessment and intervention. So once we have our antecedent strategies in place, the students that are still struggling may be students we need more individualized support for. This way, if all of your students are struggling with behavior, these strategies may take care of some of them, which may make it more feasible to do good functional assessments and interventions on the remaining issues. So when we think about a behaviorally supportive classroom, the first thing that we need to have in place are clearly defined expectations. And we want to make sure that those expectations are conveyed to the students in a way that they can understand. So this includes both setting the expectations and making them clear, as well as making them visible to teach the students what they are. And what that looks like is going to vary with the environment. So I often think of every good classroom has a set of classroom rules. The characteristics of effective classroom rules have been outlined in our behavioral literature for quite some time. So they include that we state them in positive terms. This isn't just because we don't like to say no. This is because telling the students what they should do instead of what they shouldn't leads to more appropriate behavior. In my last episode, in episode six, I talked about the fact that many of our students in special education are not very good problem solvers. And for that reason, we need to state what we expect to see, because just as stating what not to do doesn't give them the information about what to do instead, telling them what we want to see does. It solves that problem for them without needing a problem-solving solution. We need to make sure that our classroom rules are also observable. So the behaviors that we want to see in our classroom rules, we want to make sure that we can observe them easily so that there isn't any discussion about whether or not the student follows the rules. So for instance, if we say follow the teacher's directions the first time they are given, that's a very clear observable rule and therefore is a better rule than respect authority. Be nice to your friends isn't as strong a rule as keep your hands, feet, and objects to yourself. You could, in some situations, have broader rules, like many positive behavioral support schools will have common rules of be respectful, be responsible, and be cooperative. But effective PBIS schools will also break those down into more concrete examples of what those broader behaviors look like, and they'll post those behaviors with the rules as well. They will teach the students what it means to be respectful, what it means to be responsible, and what it means to be cooperative using specific observable behaviors. Finally, when we're thinking about our rules, you don't want to have so many rules that your students get overwhelmed. Generally, five classroom rules is sufficient and it's probably the maximum of what I would use. You might just have three. I have a tendency to go towards five. I think it's because I really like that number. But you want to make sure that you're presenting them in a manner that the students will all understand. And you want to make sure that you're presented that, presenting them in a way that is clear to the students. So for instance, a high school chemistry teacher might teach the classroom procedures at the beginning of the year and then write them on the board. And the procedures might involve teaching the students whether they should raise their hand to participate or call out and when the homework is expected to be turned in. Often, the school rules would also apply in this situation, but a supportive classroom would assure that there are a set of behavioral rules posted in the classroom itself. Meanwhile, for a kindergarten classroom, establishing the classroom rules might be done in a visual form with pictures, teaching them at the beginning of the year and reviewing them regularly throughout the year. Because kindergartners are not gonna read. I once did a presentation for a school where we were going to be including more students in general education. And so I was talking to gen ed teachers. And I talked about the fact that we need to make sure that our rules and our classroom schedules are understandable to our students. We don't want it to be something that they can't access. And the principal realized as we were talking about it, that because the kindergartners are not readers, it really doesn't make sense to give them written rules without pictures because we can teach them, but they're not going to be able to read them when they're posted. So that year in kindergarten, all of the kindergarten teachers created visual rules. Don't think that the visuals are only for students with autism. They're really very helpful for a wide variety of students, particularly any who are not good readers. So even if you're teaching a special ed class in another disability Visual rules can be a really helpful tool and you can grab a free copy of a visual set of rules in my free resource library. Just go to autismclassroomresources.com episode seven for the link and to sign up for the resource library and grab the rest of your printables. The second thing that behaviorally supportive classrooms have are clear routines and procedures. The more consistency of routines throughout the day, the better. We all like structure. There's a reason that TV networks don't change their TV schedule and show the same show at different times and days every week. We would have a difficult time finding them to watch, and eventually we'd probably give up. And they know that. So we have routines that we set into our work. I talked about them when I talked about zoning plans. Structure and routine allows students to focus on the work that they're doing instead of worrying about the schedule. So for that high school chemistry class that I was talking about, this might involve a set syllabus of coursework with clear routines for turning in homework and late assignments. It could also include a common structure for how the class is conducted. So for instance, we're going to review the concept, followed by independent work, followed by group work. The chemistry teacher can make this clear to the students by writing the list of tasks to be completed during the class on the board. So for a kindergarten classroom, it might mean having a consistent schedule that they follow each day and posting that schedule in a way that the students can understand. And since the students aren't readers, again, Visuals may be a good way to present that. Next, behaviorally supportive classrooms have reinforcement and positive acknowledgement built into their routines and for following the rules. When we work to recognize when students follow the rules and when they exhibit acts of kindness and cooperation within the classroom, those behaviors will naturally increase. Making sure that we reinforce specific appropriate behaviors Like following the rules is beneficial for a couple of reasons. First, the more that you reinforce positive behavior, the more positive behavior you see. When more positive behavior occurs, there's less time for negative behaviors to occur. By praising it and reinforcing it publicly, in addition, you highlight a model for other students to follow. So we're basically sending the message of, Hey, you get attention for positive behavior, not negative behavior. Negative behavior, we pay as little attention to as possible. And positive behavior, we really focus on. We're modeling for the students that this is the way to get the teachers praise, attention, and and do what you need to do. So, Remember also that praise may not always be the most effective reinforcer for all students. So sometimes we need to tie other reinforcers to the behavior in some way, and that may be helpful. So for instance, we had a student who was very attention seeking, but praise was not enough to be reinforcing for him. So he had a token system that when he earned all of his tokens, the classroom would just stop for a few seconds and we'd all sing for he's a jolly good fellow. So making him the center of attention for the whole classroom was really reinforcing. And it actually managed to compete with the negative reaction and chaos that he caused in the classroom with his negative behavior. So he got a strong reaction and strong attention for appropriate behavior. And then we tried to minimize it for the negative behavior. In general, You want to try to have four or more positive comments focusing on appropriate behavior for every one redirection or comment about a negative behavior. Research has shown that when teachers, any teachers, gen ed, special ed, any kind of teacher, follow what we call this golden ratio, their students have fewer challenging behaviors. You could use a marble jar type of system where every time you see a positive behavior, you drop a marble in the jar. When it gets filled up, you get a pizza party or a free uh, fun Friday activity in the afternoon. Or you could use token systems where the students earn tokens for following the rules during each class activity. There are tons of ways that we can recognize students for appropriate behavior. The real key is to do it frequently, and to tie it directly to your classroom rules so that students see how following the rules pays off. Then, And we'll talk more about reinforcement systems and things like that down the line because that's something that is like totally my jam and I can't talk about it enough. So I'll talk about it more then. The next characteristic of behaviorally supportive classrooms are having planned responses to challenging behavior that avoids reinforcing the behavior as much as possible. You want to make sure that you have a response and a system for making sure that everyone's safe, but we can do that with a minimum amount of attention and as minimum as we can. You want the responses to challenging behavior or misbehavior to be consistent across staff and be consistent over time, and they should be established with the expectations and followed through with consistency. Just be careful that if you have a behavior management plan in place, that students have an opportunity to win in the system and that they can't dig themselves into a hole that they can never recover from. So if you're using a token system or you're using some type of behavior chart, you wanna make sure that students have the opportunity to recover from that because for many of our students, once they learn that they're not going to be able to recover or they get themselves dug down so deep in the hole that they've lost everything that they can't come back, it's going to divest them of the system and their motivation to behave is really gonna drop out. So you wanna be really careful about that. We'll talk more about that when we talk about classroom management systems. For what you should do when we're redirecting behavior, you wanna try redirecting to the appropriate behavior as much as possible. So we wanna try to focus on the positive that we wanna see instead of the negative. For instance, don't just tell a student to stop running, tell him what you want him to do instead. Please walk in the hallway, redirect to something rather than saying, stop hitting, try redirecting to what you want him to do that might be incompatible with hitting, pick up your pencil and get to work, please. This keeps you from highlighting the negative behavior for the class. Research tells us that teachers who comment frequently on negative behavior have more negative behavior rather than less. And I know that seems counterintuitive, but it's important because that's what gets the attention. If you are paying attention to the negative behavior, you're holding that up to the class to see and saying, look, this is how you get me to respond. If you do that for the positive behavior, you're sending a better model. If you need to provide a consequence for a behavior based on your behavior management procedures, try to do it under the radar rather than publicly. Think about it. You don't want your principal to come in in front of your class or in the teacher's lounge and tell you everything that's wrong with what you're doing in your classroom. You would not like that. People don't like to be publicly shamed. It really is not an effective strategy. Students who are publicly shamed on a regular basis by being called out for their negative behavior are actually more likely to become less invested in the class and act out more frequently. So a lot of the things that we naturally do as a, almost as a, a response or a trigger of correcting actually make the behavior worse sometimes. So the long and the short of it is, while we think that correcting behavior sends the message to the rest of the class to stay on the straight and narrow, we, we have, I've had lots of staff who'll say, well, you can't let them get away with that. The rest of the class will think that they can. It actually increases the negative behavior of the whole class, and it can severely negatively impact the behavior of the student who's often the focus of the negative attention. Another thing that behaviorally supportive classrooms do is to differentiate the responses to behavior based on the needs of the students. I know it's a shocking idea, but all the students in your classroom are not the same. Consequently, they don't all need the same type of reinforcement or the same type of consequences to behave. So many times I have had teachers who will say they have to do the same thing for all the students to be fair. But in reality, that's not really fair. And it's not what we teach children are fair either. Uh, There's a great lesson on teaching the understanding of fair not being the same as equal on Pinterest. And it involves having a student who needs a Band-Aid. So then you go around to everybody else in the class and everybody needs a Band-Aid. And the kids are likely to say, I don't need a Band-Aid. Which presents an opportunity to talk about the fact that just because one student needs something doesn't mean another one does. So I wouldn't give a Band-Aid to somebody who didn't need it, but he might need something else. Just because Sarah wears glasses doesn't mean everyone in the class needs glasses. And Bobby wears contacts. So even though it looks like Bobby doesn't need glasses, his need may be a little less visible than Sarah's. So while this lesson does take some instruction with students, it's a lifelong lesson that is important for them to learn because it makes a huge difference in how you react to things that happen in the real world in which things are not equal. If you wanna think about FAIR, you have to think about what the students need. In the end, if the students are getting what they need, that's what matters. Tommy needs more help in math. But Maisie needs more help in writing. You wouldn't give them equal types and amounts of instruction across those subjects because you know that we have to differentiate instruction to reach all of our students. And remember that in episode six, I talked about how all behavioral needs to be taught. Therefore, we need to differentiate our behavioral instruction, just like we do all the other kinds of instruction that we differentiate. So some students are going to need more reinforcement. Some students are going to need more frequent reinforcement. Some students won't need reinforcement as often to stay on track. So allow your system, whatever your classroom management system is, to account for these individual differences to manage the behavior of everyone in the class. And finally, Behaviorally supportive classrooms keep students actively engaged in activities for learning throughout the day. I've said it before. I've said it on social media. I say it all the time. I've said it a million times. Downtime is not your friend. The more that you can avoid downtime, the more progress your students make and the fewer challenging behaviors you will see. So look for strategies that promote engagement with all students. You could use something like response cards if you're in a gen ed class. In using response cards, students answer by holding up their fingers or showing a card to answer a question, or they do their math problem on a dry erase board and every single one of them does it and holds it up to be checked and shows them to the class. That allows every student to answer every question instead of raising their hand and being called on or only having one student come to the board and do a problem while the others watch, most of our students, particularly those who perceive special education, are not good learners by watching other people do the thing that they are struggling with. They learn more by practicing. So the more practice they have, the better, but also the more engaged they stay. Center-based activities can be another way to keep students actively engaged. So the use of independent work systems as a center might keep them more engaged in maintenance tasks during that time in the classroom for a student with special needs. In general, if the students are having fun, they're also more engaged. So the more that we can make our activities engaging and interesting for them, the more engaged they'll be, the more engaged they are, the less problems we will have. So whatever way you can keep students engaged and not waiting around in the classroom, the more progress they make and the less behavior problems you have. So let's recap really quickly the things that you want to do to have a behaviorally supportive classroom. You want to have clearly defined expectations that are conveyed to the students in a way that they understand. You want those to be concrete and observable. The next thing is you want to have clear routines and procedures, and you want to teach those procedures at the beginning of the year or whenever it is that you add them into your classroom, and you want those routines and procedures to be consistent. Next, you want to make sure that you've got reinforcement and positive acknowledgement built into your routines and rules for following them. Students will learn more when you're reinforcing the appropriate behavior and minimizing attention to the negative behavior. You also want to make sure that when you are responding to challenging behavior, that you're redirecting to the behavior that you want to see and focus on the positive. We redirect to an appropriate behavior rather than away from a negative behavior. You want to highlight the appropriate things for the model for the students. And finally, we differentiate responses based on the needs of the students. That's how we provide differentiated behavioral instruction, and we want to keep our students as actively engaged in learning activities throughout the day because it leads to more progress and fewer problem behaviors. I hope that gives you some ideas about things you might want to tweak in your classroom or think about changing in your classroom, or maybe it's just reinforced things that you already do in your classroom. I would love to hear about it hop over to our free Facebook group at specialeducatorsconnection.com. And that will allow you, if you're not part of the group, you can join, answer the questions and join and share with us if this is something that was meaningful for you or if you have suggestions. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Autism Classroom Resources podcast. If you enjoyed this, I would love it if you would subscribe on your podcast platform. And I'd love it if you'd hop over to iTunes and share a review of your thoughts and share it with a friend. That really helps to get the word out there if you feel that this is something that people could make use of. And if you have suggestions for more podcast episodes, definitely share that with me as well. Thank you so much, and I hope you'll be back next week.